Family meeting after 10. Welcome to Family Meeting, a Peaky Blinders podcast. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. Welcome back. Yes. For another round of blinding. <laughs> yeah. Actually, not that much blinding on the show. There really isn't that much blinding, which is probably good for the town of Beeham. <laughs> That's true. I can only think. Uh, we do have a email that we want to share from Cousin Megan, who says, Hi, guys. I just finished watching the first episode of Another Period on Comedy Central. Oh, my God. It's the best. Created by Natasha Legera and Ricky Lindholm, co-starring tons of my favorite people, including Michael Ian Black and Tom Lennon. Set in Newport in 1902, it's all the snark and hilarity of the Downton Sixby parody and then some. The scene with Jason Ritter and Ricky Lindholm in the bedroom was seemingly all of their servants had me laughing so much that I nearly peed my pants. Since you two are so fabulous enough to speed on everything else, you probably are already aware of the show, but I wanted to bring it to your attention just in case, because I really think that you will enjoy the hell out of it. Sincerely, Cousin Megan. Uh, we are up on things. We are, and yes. aware. <laughs> so yeah, we've known about this show for a while because several of my friends actually wrote on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so that happened. Uh, including Guy Branham, who has appeared on this podcast in the past. Indeed, he before has. he got too big for this podcast, oh, right? <laughs> Which, like, how did that happen? <laughs> um, all the crowned heads of Europe love this podcast, <laughs> so we were excited about another period, and then we watched it. Yeah, and I, I mean, look, I mean, the first thing is it's a comedy, and comedy either works for you or you do- it doesn't, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, and it, it just doesn't work for us in that sense. And I think the comparison to Downton Sixby is very telling because that's it feels like a sketch to me and not like a show. Yeah. Um, so that was really the problem that I had well, with it. Well, and the conceit of the show is that it is, you know, a parody of these costume dramas while simultaneously being a parody of like Kardashian style reality TV. Right. And I think there's a world and a budget <laughs> where that works, mm-hmm. but this is not that. Um, cause I mean, that was the thing. And I knew from the very first promos, like the costumes are really bad. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, and I'm sure they were really expensive for a comedy central show. Yeah. So I'm not trying to unnecessarily shit on that, but it's just like, we've spent so long immersed in this time period mm-hmm. that when things aren't right we get annoyed <laughs> yeah well and it's you know it's just i guess that's the thing is like we're not we're not casual viewers of that genre right and we're not casual reality tv viewers either because that's the other thing is they didn't shell out for an editor who really understands how a reality show is paced yeah. like if they had been able to actually hire an editor, an executive producer who were really familiar with that world, mm-hmm. I think it might have made a difference. Cause like there's these like, this is, we've only seen the first episode. Right, so maybe it right. gets better after the pilot, but you know, you get these editing things where, you know, things are in a kind of like a, you know, oh, it's the same image in like a tile and they're like playing a lot of like hip hop underneath it. Mm-hmm. And like the anachronism doesn't work. Yeah. Um, I thought a lot of the cast is acting too contemporarily. Yeah. Um, and it's like you either need to make that choice or not because it's like some of them kind of decide to well, do that. Well, and it's like, and it's like you, in some cases, you can't tell if it's a joke or if it's just a bad job. Right. And it's, it's, well, that's the other thing that I feel like about it too is I feel like there are a ton of voices on that set, you know? Mm-hmm. And a lot of these actors are, they're coming out of improv type backgrounds and all this sort of thing and it's hard to corral all those people into a single tone yeah 
Well, and the the director is the guy from Drunk History, mm. which to me, like, I see why you think that's a great idea mm-hmm. because you're like, oh, Drunk History, like, there's a name, which, yes. Yeah. But that's also not, like, this needs to be a tightly controlled aesthetic. Right. Um, And it just doesn't seem... And again, you can totally see, like, on paper, it all makes sense. Yeah. It all makes sense on paper. Yeah. But in practice, like, your best performance shouldn't be Christina Hendricks. <laughs> yeah. Like, in no universe should Christina <laughs> Hendricks ever be the best part of anything. <laughs> like, that's just not what she does. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so. And, you know, I feel... I, but I feel like our listeners are going to be both the biggest fans and the biggest critics of this show. I agree. You know, like, because it's either, it's either right up your alley or it's just going to rub you the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the latter with us. Yeah. So anybody that wants to check it out, you might love it. Yeah. You absolutely might. You uh, also might not. Yeah. But that's really the risk of everything. And one thing we'll definitely go on record to say uh, this is not Titanic Blood and Steel. Like, <laughs> right. it's not. We yeah. promise if you watch it, you won't be mad at us for two years afterward. <laughs> it's not that kind of... This is a very fluffy, like, oh, like, you either like it or you don't like it. Like, and we all go on with our lives. <laughs> right. So, like, just, you know, know that. Yes. All right. So then it's time to jump into this recap. Mm-hmm. Let's cap it up with our Peaky Blinders. <laughs> Let's do that. So we just jump right in with the red right hand on this episode. We're like, whoa. Yeah, change it up style-wise. <laughs> and there's a close-up of the water, which pans up to Freddie and Ada being uh, cute while sitting on a barge. This show seems to have vastly overestimated <laughs> our investment in these two. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think with a good... Like, there's something like that in Mr. Selfridge, and I'm now blanking on what it was. Uh, but it was like, it was the same kind of thing where yeah. it's like, you, we don't care about this. <laughs> right. At all. Yeah, you seem to think that we should be all worked up yeah. one way or the oh, other. Oh, it was, uh, Nunu Gordon and, uh, uh oh, Fake yeah. Doris. Yeah. Yeah. We were like, we don't, this no. is a bad idea. We weren't rooting for this, and nor are we particularly rooting for Freddie and Ada. No. I'm not rooting for anybody involved. No. On this. Yeah, not at all. I'm not shipping on this show, which is weird. That is weird. I love a ship. Yeah. Rarely does a ship sail by that I don't want to <laughs> jump on board, but nobody on this show. I'm like, everyone should be alone. <laughs> well, I mean, they're really, I mean, apart from Freddie and Ada, which doesn't really count because they start out together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, the Grace and Thomas is the only one that the show really tries to push. Yeah. As far as. And even that, like, there's so much going on. You can't yeah. even ship it in the traditional sense. Yeah. Because yeah. you're like, which agenda is the real agenda? No. Why is Grace such a terrible spy? <laughs> oh, and we'll get into that in this episode. Anyway, Freddie talks to some other communist, uh, tells them that London is crackling with revolution. Uh, he says that the Poplar docks are on strike. Hey, and- Poplar. Yeah. From Call the Midwife. That's right. Uh, and he got 200 pounds from an attache to the Russian embassy in a Chinese restaurant. And they talk about how the revolution is international. Everything is going great. This would almost be cute if I didn't hate Freddie Thorne <laughs> right. so much. Yeah. Which is a lot that I hate him. <laughs> like, I hate him a lot, guys. I hate him more than Alfred on Downton Abbey. Wow. Uh, yeah. Which, right? That's saying something. He's not even a ginger, but he's got worse hair and face. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, they're both super optimistic. And I'm like, ah, yes, international communism, where nothing can possibly go wrong. <laughs> Peaky blinders! <laughs> Manly. 
So we cut to Killian walking determinedly, and we see the street preacher that we met in the first episode and then disappeared. Mm-hmm. Uh, we learn that his name is Jeremiah. He tells Killian that Ada and Freddie got back that morning, but he lost track of them because Freddie is hard to catch like a fish. A fish with a terrible hat. <laughs> right. Well, it's like, I guess he was, he was like trying to follow him, but he just couldn't stand looking at Freddie for that yeah. long. And then, you know. Well, and also, and like, they weren't doing a great job of hiding. They were sitting out on the barge. Right. Like anybody could see them. Yeah. A person in a wagon peeks out of the wagon, revealing some men who are planning an attack in Romany. Uh, must be the Lees. Uh, yeah. You know, Lee Lee, Lee Lee, <laughs> Lee Lee Jr. <laughs> Big Lee, just Little like Lee. in 1776, here Lee, there Lee, <laughs> everywhere Lee, Lee, manliest musical of all time, 1776. <laughs> Bam! I said it. All right. It's only got men in it. I mean, essentially, except for two ladies who were there for set dressing and saltpeter. <laughs> so we cut to the inside of the betting parlor where some kid is placing a bet, and some other guy has arrived too late to place a bet and complains about it for a bit. Uh, and then while that boy, that guy is complaining, the boy uses the diversion to do something. Yeah, this was very confusing, even though it's kind of explained in the next scene, because we thought this was Finn, and I was like, <laughs> is there somebody different playing Finn? Like, what's happening? Right. How dare you introduce another young boy into this cast? So Aunt Paul is in the kitchen, and then she looks suspicious, but we're seeing all this from the POV of the kid who's hiding in a cabinet. Uh, Paul does nothing and then hits the bedding parlor where she tells Killian that John is at the garrison and wants a meeting about family business. How do they differentiate between family business and family business? Right. Like, I think they need better boundaries. <laughs> uh, well, she tells Scudboat, <laughs> which is a totally real name. Yeah. Uh, that John will be back to, to, you know, be there with him during the race in about 10 minutes. Killian says five. Yeah. And Scud's both like, I don't care. My name is Scudboat. Yeah. Just do like, whatever I've you want. already lost, guys. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not, not expecting a whole bunch for myself. Yeah. Nobody's ever like, look out. The Scud boats are coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, again. <laughs> So as Killian and Paul walk away, the wagon pulls up to the Shelby house, and all the Lees get out with various Eerily, weapons. <laughs> everywhere, Lee, Lee. Uh, yeah, so as they come in, Scudboat thinks that it is John coming in, but he is incorrect. <laughs> uh, so he is, of course, easily overpowered, because there's like 20 of them. And uh, that guy whose ear Arthur cut off last week says that they are taking revenge for Cheltenham. Which, uh, honestly... I'm really genuinely surprised they did not think about this at any point. Yeah. They didn't think that after they not only (laughs) took all their money, but also cut this guy's ear off, that these extremely easy to anger gypsies (laughs) weren't going to strike back in any way. Well, they claimed to Billy Kimber that they had great contacts and would always know when the Lees were planning something. But, uh... Whoops. Yeah. I guess those great contacts maybe get a little mad when you cut off (laughs) their source of income. Slash ear. Yeah. (laughs) For many, they're one and the same. At the garrison in the private room, uh, Killian wants to know what's troubling John, and everybody looks pretty bored. I feel like this must be like a quarterly occurrence. Well, because John, you know, apart from Finn, is the youngest one. So he's like... I'm busy, uh, you know, navigating life's difficulties. And they're like, yeah, we know. We are all doing it all the time, but we don't need a family meeting. 
he says he's having a very hard time with his kids. They're out barefoot running with the dogs at all hours, which I don't think is a metaphor. Right. Um, <laughs> also, we've never seen his kids. No. Even in this episode that features a family event. Yeah. Uh, where you'd think his kids would be in attendance. Nary a peep. Yeah. He, uh, everybody says that he's got a bunch of Everybody says he's got four kids by this woman who died. Mm-hmm. Uh recently enough that they had four kids you know what i mean yeah um anyway look we're all just accepting on faith (laughs) that these kids exist yeah killian says direct problem solver that he is uh (laughs) tells paul to give him 10 bob for shoes for the kids and paul is like shut up that's not what this is about yeah 10 10 bob for shoes maybe a stick to beat the dogs off you're all set like (laughs) I think it sounds good. <laughs> so Mumper says that the kids need a mother and he's getting married. Uh, Paul wants to know if the girl knows or if he's just going to spring it on her. John says that he's proposed and she said yes. And Killian says he thinks there's a shell about to go bang. Yeah. More, you know, that's a double entendre and he doesn't even know it yet. Uh, John says the girl is Lizzie Stark and Killian and Arthur just start laughing immediately. Uh, Polly tries to hold back her own laughter and says Lizzie's a strong girl who provides a great service to her customers, but, and Mumper says, don't use that word. Killian can't resist baiting him. What word? Uh, John is very mad and Arthur says that everybody knows. They say a bunch of synonyms for prostitute and Mumper gets increasingly mad. Paul, again, doing a pretty impressive job of not openly ridiculing him, <laughs> says that Lizzie's never done a day's work vertical. Come on. One of her clients likes it standing up. Right? Come on. But I like that as a phrase. Like, no, I'm going to start it's nice. using that yeah. to like describe lazy people. I know. But like, he's never done a day's work vertical. John claims that she's changed. She does not have religion. Uh, but she loves John. John says that he won't marry her without Killian's blessing, and he wants Killian to see what he's doing as brave. And here's where I have to give this show some credit, because it is rare that a character is allowed to be as stupid as they're written. <laughs> like, it's just, you know, because it's like there's nothing particularly brave about marrying a prostitute. But, like, you can completely understand why this guy would think that. Yeah. Even though it makes no sense. Well, I mean, you know, he is certainly, as we can see, opening himself to ridicule. That is true. Yeah. Uh, Paul says that bravery, she finally cracks. Bravery is going where no man has gone before, and that's not what he'll be doing. <laughs> Mumper then starts to beg, which is not a great look, as Finn pops in and tells Killian they've been done over. Yeah. Uh, whoopsie. <laughs> so cut to the butt bedding parlor where Scudboat is nursing his wounds. Uh, he says that it was all the Lees, cousins, nephews, bastards even. Eerily, verily, <laughs> everywhere a bastardly. Yeah, they're called Lee Snow. <laughs> <laughs> if they're in Birmingham, they should be called Lee Ash. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> or Lee Canal. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, they took four cash boxes and left behind a pair of wire cutters. Killian and the others quickly realize that that means there's a bomb somewhere, as Mumper tells Paul not to touch anything. Uh, apparently, Erasmus Lee was in France. I love that as a name. Yeah. Can we name our first baby Erasmus Lee? Uh, no. Aw. Well, I mean, we can. There's no law against it. I'm going to fight you. <laughs> well, I'll do it when you're asleep. <laughs> We've all got that to look forward to. <laughs> 
And Killian explains that in France, when they would booby trap a place, they would leave wire cutters behind as like a joke. Because war's hilarious! Right. And it also isn't the point of a booby trap that they don't know it's been booby trapped. That seems inefficient to me. I was not in France. Much like Sam Neill. <laughs> right. So Arthur encourages everyone to go easy, but Killian realizes that the grenade is not and never was in the house because it would have gone off already, and the trap is just for him. He goes out to his car, where Finn is sitting in it at the wheel, pretending to be Killian. I like Finn's completely uh, not accurate sense of, like, proportion. Because he's <laughs> like, oh, we've been done over! Well, I'm going to go play in the car. (laughs) I don't know what use he would be in this situation. It seems like they might want to keep him nearby. Possibly. So that the Lees don't, like, gut him or something. He seems fine. Uh, So Killian tries to get Finn to climb out the same way that he climbed in so as not to set off anything. But Finn, in fact, uses the door, which pulls the pin on the grenade, uh, Killian grabs it and then throws it away, and everybody's fine. Yeah, no one gets murdered. Yeah, it's a street with various people passing by that they throw yeah, it into. Yeah, I mean, it's already on fire, so maybe that helped, and it created, like, you know, like a firewall and, a, you know, a break. Yeah, but- well, actually, what it looked like to me was that it maybe wasn't a grenade, but actually some dynamite, which would make sense in that case, because dynamite, like, the whole point of a grenade is that all the metal on the outside turns to shrapnel. Right. And a dynamite doesn't do that. It's just a blast. It doesn't have all the fragments well, that tear you up. Well, then how does it work if they pull... Well, see, that's... Yeah. So that doesn't make any sense okay. either. So it's a mystery how nobody is hurt. If only I had paid closer attention when I was drunk the other day watching 101 Weapons That Changed the World. <laughs> you, you might be better off. Ugh. Well, and it's, it's hilarious, too. You know who else too. would be better off? The world. <laughs> You're right. It's, it's hilarious because one of the guys is like walking along down the street and Killian like yells all clear as he throws it in there and the guy dives down on the ground, it blows up, and then he just gets up and goes on his way like do 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 do. I mean, look, with the Peaky Blinders running thing, who knows what the new normal is. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Killian hugs Finn and tells him, that's why you should never pretend to be me. Which is a horrible line. Yeah. And like, get your shit together, Steve Knight. <laughs> yeah. That's not what we are here for. That's not a manly thing to say. This is the first time anybody has showed the remotest affection for Finn. Yeah, that's true. Except for that time he fell asleep on top of Polly. Well, yeah. Which I assume was an accident. <laughs> and she was like, well, I guess we're all stuck here now. <laughs> uh, we see Killian accompanying Johnny Dogs to the Lee's camp. Uh, Johnny Dogs is carrying a white truce flag on a stick. I'm assuming Johnny Dogs was one of the contacts who didn't right. wind up telling them anything. Yeah. Johnny Dogs whispers to Killian that he's got 10 minutes with her. He says Killian should thank him. It's easier to see the Pope these days, which I doubt. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, my aunt and uncle saw the Pope one time. It doesn't seem to have been that In hard. In post-war, like, you know, <laughs> Italy. Uh, no. See? Plus, I believe the Pope was ill at that point. Well, I don't know what to tell you yeah, about the Pope. Died of pneumonia not long after the end of World War One. Where's your God now, Pope? <laughs> uh, so anyway, they approach and enter this very elaborate looking caravan. So it's clearly like a big cheese that Killian's going to see. A woman is sitting there and tells Killian to put his hand on the Bible. He says he didn't come there to lie and that the war they're having is cutting everyone up. They're all, they're speaking in Romany, incidentally. Just Mm -hmm. FYI. Uh, he says it has to stop because a boy almost got killed. He hands her a bullet with Kimber's name on it. She says she thought he was Killian's ally, but Killian says he's planning to betray him. Yeah. 
he says to tell the Lees they now get the winner in one of every three races before the race starts, so they don't need chalking or scafflers anymore. Right. Was it scafflers? No, rafflers. Rafflers. Yeah. You know, one of those things. <laughs> sure. She's skeptical that Killian can be trusted, uh, which is fair. Yeah. Because he just fucked them over. And they was like, no, 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 no. But really, I just did that to fuck <laughs> over the other guy. Right. That is currently not fucked over. <laughs> uh, but Killian points out that they are kin on his mother's side, and he wants to talk family business. So he is a cooking of something up. <laughs> yes, he is. Uh, cut to Freddy taking a bath. Gross. Yeah. Ugh. Why are we seeing this? I know. I have not not wanted to see a bath scene so much since Iron Jawed Angels. Like, uh, well, I was thinking of you know Selfridge. Or, yeah, uh, Mr. Grove. Ugh! S- listen, hey, future screenwriters and directors of America and beyond. <laughs> If you have a thing that you're working on and you're like, oh, wouldn't it be great if we showed this character in the bath? No, it would not. I don't care if you're trying to communicate vulnerability. Like, I don't care. Yeah, but they seem to love it. Our memoir is going to be called Ugly Men Taking Ugly Baths. (laughs) A lifetime in podcasting. Gross. Yeah. Anyway, Freddy wants Ada to wash his back, but Ada just wants to do some pat mooring about Freddy's communist fundraising and why do they still have such a shitty house. Um, and it's like, you really needed to sit down at some point before your wedding and have a talk about this whole communist revolution thing. Yeah. Because Ada does not seem to comprehend it at all. She really doesn't. She yeah. thinks that they should have a lot of money. Yeah. Which is really not what communist organizing is all about. Yeah. Uh, anyway, rather than washing his back, she starts giving him a hand job and asks who he's loyal to, uh, and he responds by kissing her. So, uh... Worst communist ever. Yeah. And also, like, God, did he, had he never had sex before? I don't know, man. I'm just saying, at this point in their relationship, he should not be so easily, like, tricked by a <laughs> hand job. <laughs> right. Like, there's no such thing as a good, you know, hand job. Like... <laughs> It's not that great. I Look, I don't know what to tell you. I, I just think this is ridiculous. <laughs> Killian opens a telegram at the garrison and Paul comes in. Killian asks if she had something to do with the telegram. Paul says she asked a friend for an address, but the friend would only send it anonymously. And Paul wants to suggest a strategy. All right. So we cut to Killian waiting in a loading bay after dark. A car pulls up and Sam Neill gets out. Sam Neill! Yeah, we practically forgotten about he's barely been in the last episodes uh it is raining and sam neil says that he got a message that killian had an address for him killian says that he has the address of stanley chapman who is the guy that freddie thorne gave the 200 pounds to in the the first scene uh which again that was one of ada's complaints was why don't they get to keep some of that money Sam Neill says that he's not buying, he wants Freddie Thorne, but Killian says the Chapman is a bigger fish and is holding 200 pounds courtesy of the Russian Communist Party. Killian says that he wants Sam Neill's word that he will let a terrible hat and Ada leave the city. Killian says that their truce is productive for both of them. Sam Neill says that Churchill is impatient for the guns, and if Killian doesn't give them up soon, Sam Neill might be replaced. And Sam Neill says that if he does get fired, and he's very like, oh, if you know, I hope that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. But if I did, 
Uh, he will visit his fury on the blinders with mallets and spades. He says he will do things that will shame the devil, which I don't think the devil can be yeah, shamed. Yeah, the devil's that's, not about shame. That's his whole... The devil is super tolerant. Right. <laughs> The devil's like, I take all sins. I don't care. <laughs> the devil's just way cooler than God about that. Yeah. It's a chill dude. God's got a lot of rules. Satan's <laughs> just like, whatever, guys. Come on. Give up all hope. Yeah. Uh, he says he would basically kill them all, including Ada, but he would spare Finn uh, only to have him put in prison uh, and make sure that he is placed in the ward where men are most interested in boys of his type or some horribly creepy wording he's going to somehow put him in jail with a bunch of pedophiles and let them uh rape him to death yes so as threats go this one's pretty horrifying yeah we're not doing it justice no we're not at all because samuel really stayed up burning the midnight oil on this one yeah uh, yeah speechifying wise yeah but we're like oh my god that does not seem appropriate yeah but he says this is what he'll do if he gets replaced and i'm like you're really going to have like you're going to know you're getting fired but still have time to do all that before you're actually fired like i thought that his point was that he would get vigilantes to do it hmm well, because if he gets fired, like, he's just fired from being this special commander. Like, they're not going to kick him completely off the force. Uh, true enough. I assume. Yeah, I don't know. Any case, horrifying. Uh, Sam Neill heads off. Killian pulls his gun out and points it at him. But Sam Neill just pauses for a second and then keeps walking. Uh, Sam Neill smokes his pipe and sniffs. He is supervising his crew of specials breaking into Chapman's house. They found the money! Hey! Sam Neill tells Chapman he's fucked, which does not seem like due process as laid out in the Magna Carta. <laughs> well, I'm not sure that Sam Neill is super interested in that. Just seems like it might bite them in the ass later on. <laughs> Sam Neill lights his pipe in his office, and Moss says that Chapman won't talk, so Sam Neill's like, we'll make with the torture already. What are we doing here? Uh, Moss says, and the, the point is to get him to give up Freddie Thorne. Moss says that Sam Neill gave his word, and Sam ne- Sam Neill says he can't believe people still care about that in this idiotic century. That's my favorite line in this whole episode. Yeah, like that's how I feel all the time. Yeah. Um, which I mean, I personally am on Moss's. You know, he's like, you can't, don't have to give your word to like these awful, horrible people. Yeah, but I'm with Moss. It's not about the morality or ethics it's about pragmatism if you go back on your word then you can never give your word again yeah and it have it mean anything right sorry my point was that i agree about the idiotic century well, and just being generally mad <laughs> that is fine i actually am a person of my word which i think might be holding me back <laughs> could be anyway he then elaborately accuses moss of moss thinking that his campaign against killian has become personal and Moss is like, you wrote this speech before I got here. I don't think what I think has influenced this in any way. Right. He was like, I just am not super fa- a fan of torturing. That was all I was about, but okay. So Sam Neill tells him to interrogate Chapman and not to make the error of being too gentle. I suspect that is not an error Sam Neill ever makes. Yeah. Terrible hat stupidly walks into a cemetery with flowers just out in the open. Just mm-hmm. Anybody could see you. He put some of them down on some thorns grave. Paul is there as well to warn terrible hat that Chapman has been lifted. Paul tells him that he and Ada have safe passage out and that Ada is the one who came up with the plan. Yeah. Freddie starts speechifying about the Shelby's and Paul tells him he doesn't have time. 
Freddie says that Chapman doesn't even know his address because none of the communists know each other's addresses, which begs then the question, how did Ada have Chapman's? Right. But. Well, but Ada didn't have Chapman's. Some mysterious person anonymously had it and sent a telegram. I thought it was Ada. Okay. I don't know. I'm Maybe not sure so. how deep all of this goes. Yeah. Anyway, Freddie says that if they want him out of Beham, it'll have to be in a wooden box, which sounds like a great solution to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we cut to him smoking a cigarette and looking at Ada, who is asleep as usual, being real useful. Right. Well, and before he left, Paul told him that if he lays a hand on Ada, you know, that'll be how he leaves, is in a wooden box. Mm-hmm. And then she says to the grave Freddie was visiting that she raised a stubborn one there, Irene. And so I guess that's his mom. Yeah. Well, it is because that's how Paul knew he would be there because that's either his mom's birthday or the day she died yeah. and he goes there every year. Moss tells Sam Neill that Chapman seems to have had some sort of seizure during all the torturing. Sam Neill says that he is dead and asks if they got an address. Uh, and we see the body. It is... Look, I'll put it this way. Mel Gibson begged to play this role. <laughs> so Sam Neill just tells Moss that, oh, well, we're just going to have to say he fell down some stairs. And Moss is like, uh... And he says, just find some stairs, throw them down, call the coroner. And if the coroner gives you any problems, just tell him, ask after his mistress in such and such a place. And that'll shut him up. Uh, yeah, Sam Neill, pragmatic guy. Yeah, so again, not super concerned about the due process. <laughs> Kimber and his accountant sit in a car in Birmingham, and uh, Kimber talks shit about it. <laughs> uh, the accountant, whose name is Mr. Roberts, I think that's the first that we've learned that, says that the Shelbys are doing a great job for them. Uh, Killian knocks on the door and then shows them into the bedding parlor. Kimber says he heard that the Lees turned them over, but Killian just waves it off and doesn't address it at all. Mm-hmm. Killian introduces his pitch team, and it's uh, John, some guy, and another guy. Yes. Uh, they're given their marching orders. Tom waits his clap hands, kicks in, and Killian goes into the rest of the betting parlor and announces that they finally have their first legal racetrack betting pitch. Yes. Uh a, I wish I could remember those other two names because they were n- not quite as good as Scud Boat, but they were up there. Uh, two, new musical artist on the soundtrack. Yeah, so uh, Steve Knight got a new album. Yeah. He probably just was on Amazon and is like, because you like <laughs> Nick Cave and the Tours, here's Tom Waits. Yeah, it was not, not exactly a huge departure. Right. So we see Arthur counting out money at the bar and, uh, oh, hey, Grace sighting. Oh, oh. I forgot she was on this show. She sure is. She sure has not been in this episode at all. (laughs) Yeah, she comes in carrying a box, and she's like, the new spittoons came in. (laughs) I'd actually know it is a shipment of cigarettes, and they're apparently all gross. They are, uh, like, moldy and terrible. Yeah, and wet. Well, because they've been keeping them in that wharf, Mm -hmm. or whatever it is, and uh, they're near the water. Right. Uh, So, and yeah, Arthur explains that they always keep it near a uh, petrol something or other for like so that it maybe the there's smell. more than one way out and that yeah that there's always more than one way out uh and but really arthur mainly wants her to check his figures and check well to check his adding up uh and he is not interested in her advice about better business practices uh he asks if the numbers if the adding up was right and she says it is now <laughs> 
Sam Neill heads up a group of dudes and they search various boxes looking at the wharves. Uh, something that is definitely not the album version of Broken Boy Soldier of the Tours is playing. Yeah. And this is when this starts. Right. Because this continues throughout the rest of the series where like they say they're playing a song that we know and then we're like, this is not that song. Right. So we're not. And it's like I, I listened to it because we watched this twice. I'm mm-hmm. like, is it? Because it's like you can almost hear... You can almost hear Broken Boy Soldier, but I'm like, is that just because that's what they've said? Right, I don't know. Right, Anyone who has any insight into the soundtrack of this series uh, will get a cookie. Yes. An internet cookie. Yeah. So we'll be able to track you. <laughs> uh, Killian confronts Grace about her nosiness. You heard she was asking questions at the bar about how they do things. And she says she's just a spy trying to help. <laughs> Uh, Killian says that they're going for a walk. Grace wonders where to, but Killian won't say, because that's his style. They wind up in a church, but not the church from before? It doesn't seem to because be. Because this doesn't have pews. It right. has, like, individual chairs, so I don't know what's going on. Like, how many Catholic churches are there in Birmingham? I mean, at least two. Yeah. Apparently. Within walking distance it of the garrison. It seems weird that they would be allowed to conduct their shady business in both of them. <laughs> yeah. Killian tells her basically that he needs a Mr. Roberts, uh, even though Grace isn't an accountant or a lawyer, but he says that she looks good for the big meetings and is good with numbers. Uh, but he then says that he knows she's a liar because no good Catholic girl would enter a church without making the sign of the cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grace is like, I knew being a terrible spy would catch up with me eventually. <laughs> uh, but it doesn't. Still. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't buy this as a character choice. Yeah. Like, well, and the first time we were watching it through, because at first I thought that they had actually raided those boats that they were searching in the previous scene. Yeah. And that would have been like, that would complete, like at that point, you'd have to actually be an idiot to not know that Grace was a yeah. spy. Uh, we later learned that they would just, they didn't, they were just hoping to find the guns and they left everything else. Yeah. So that makes it a little bit more okay, but it's still ridiculous. He knows that like, she's yeah, lying. Don't put this person in charge of all of your stuff. He knows that she is A, lying about her past and B, showing a bizarre amount of interest in his criminal activities. Yeah. So he convinces her then to work for him. Killian tells her there's something else she should know about his reasons for employing her. He kisses her, and she says he disappoints her. He asks if she resigns, and she says no, her appetite for the work has only increased, which is creepy. Yeah. And he stands up and walks away and says he'll show her around tomorrow. So you see a lady walking along and smoking. Killian pulls up in a car next to her and tells her to get in with her basket. She says it's the kid's teas. There's some leaks in there, so we hope you like leaks, kids. <laughs> He asks if she likes kids because John's got four of them. I think he ha- he did call her Lizzie. Uh, so we yeah. know that this is the Lizzie of yeah. the ill-fated marriage proposition. Right. Of the ill-fated Starks. The- Killian says that he's not going to try to talk her out of it uh, and then starts stacking money on the seat between them and reveals to us that he has been uh, using Lizzie's services for the last two years. Which I thought was interesting, because everybody was acting like he had not been having any sex. Right. But it just pleased him to make them think that. And I think that is a great idea. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. He wonders why she didn't mention that to John. And Killian says that the money that he is laying on the seat is his wedding gift to her and a farewell to pleasures gone by. There's a pause, and Lizzie asks if he means one last time. And it's eight pounds, which is apparently quite a lot. 
and she takes it and asks where they should go. Killian says nothing. Uh, it was a test that she just failed. Lizzie says that she loves Mumper, but Killian don't care. He says that Mumper will make his own decision once he knows all the facts. Lizzie says that Killian's brother is ten times the man he is, and Killian has no doubt. But come on, like, doesn't it depend on the scale? Like, John, probably way better person to be married to, in yeah. general. Uh, but as the head of a criminal mastermind situation like killian way way ahead clearly streets ahead even yeah undoubtedly and that was i don't know how i feel about this scene like it's sort of i don't know it's like i mean it's entrapment you know yeah like yeah i just don't know i don't understand what you're conflicted about well how completely you know is killian just a jerk or is he a big jerk is my feeling oh i think he's a big jerk okay yeah Look, there was no need for him to do this in the way that he did. Yeah. He could have deputized somebody else to find out about it. Yeah. But I think he is, you know, and I don't think it ever gets even addressed. I don't know that he's like angry or jealous, but it's something like that. Yeah. Well, because the thing about it is in the first scene, he was the only one that wasn't like really dismissive of the idea you know Mm -hmm. he didn't laugh he didn't make fun of you know her he did not really i mean not like the other two did like he you know he laughed really hard you have to go back i'm pretty sure he laughs really hard all right maybe i mean he gets a little bit more sedate with it toward the end of the scene but it's not all right I mean, anyway, when Mumper goes up to him and is like, you know, you're the one I want to approve of this, like, he takes it seriously. Yeah, well, and now he's found out. Well, sure. You know, in what, you know, you can question his methods, but he got results. He did. At the Exposition Museum, uh, Sam Neill <laughs> has found some tobacco and whiskey in looking for the guns. Uh, he tells Grace she's doing well. Grace tells him about her new job, and then Samuel gets real snobby about all of that that she's doing, and Grace is just, like, not having his ridiculousness. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, her having them go to those wharves and look for the guns without tipping anybody, that's the first piece of spy craft she's actually done that I respect. Right. Agreed. Uh, that was... Yeah, because... Her going up against Arthur, that's fine. Yeah. Like, the fact that she's fooling Arthur isn't a problem, because he's dumb. Yeah. No, because Sam Neill is all like, you know, they they blind people and they do this and they cut out tongues. And I was like, hey, they haven't cut out anybody's tongues. Yeah, not yet. People <laughs> cut out yours and you can't have speeches anymore. <laughs> Killian approaches John, who wants to borrow the car to go out into the country with Lizzie and the kids. Uh, Killian says he has to tell John something. He explains what happened with Lizzie and then says that John can make up his own mind. John is not pleased. He gets in the car quite upset. And then gets back out and slams the door. See, this is my point, because Killian is like, you had to know. I'm like, did he? Seems like he would have had a perfectly happy life not knowing that. I know. That's my thing. Well, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah. Although they did say in Infinite Jest that uh, many prostitutes find it very hard to stop, like, prostituting. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Working? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, that That it is, you know... That it can be a weirdly difficult thing to give up. So yeah. maybe there's that. I don't know. I mean, if you're getting paid for having sex, like, and you need extra money. Right. Like, I would keep doing it. No, I understand. I mean, I can see that. Uh, in the garrison, Killian tells Grace to get another glass. He asks her to make a toast. 
And she says, oh, I'm Irish. We know all kinds of toasts. And then she makes the most basic Irish toast ever, which yeah. is may you be in heaven an hour before the devil knows you're dead. Yeah. Just like, try a little bit, Grace. You are so crappy at being Irish. Like, in her training, they were like, all right, here's a book of a thousand and one Irish toasts. <laughs> and she's like... I'll just read the first one. <laughs> it's just in the dedication. It's not even a real toast. Uh, they're celebrating her contract. She also says she's had the phone put in. He says if they knew anyone else for the phone, they could call them. <laughs> they could call Downton. Killian says that her first job is to deliver an invitation to a family occasion to Ada at a bathhouse on Montague Street. Uh, so that's an annoying first job to have. <laughs> Killian climbs some stairs uh, suspiciously. He thinks he hears something and then busts into his room, gun drawn. Uh, and it's Mumper in there, trying and failing to smoke opium. It's not that hard, Mumper. <laughs> but he is dumb. We've established that he's real dumb. We have. He says that he talked to Lizzie, who called Killian a dirty liar, but then he talked to her cousin and sister, who told him that she still sees a couple of regulars uh, just to, uh, like... Keep keep... the wolf from the door. Yeah, yeah. Which seems, until they're actually married, I don't see how anybody can be pissed about that. Right. Like, I agree. Because what happens? Yeah. You know, they don't get married. Yeah, so John is very upset about it. And it's kind of upsetting. It is. He's very bummed out. You know, presumably those kids are at home alone. They probably could teach you how to smoke opium, dude. They've been unsupervised this whole time. (laughs) They probably have. They learned it from the dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Man, what would a dog be like on opium? Real chill. (laughs) Like bark, man. (laughs) Killian tells John that he is the first Shelby to have a legal license for betting and uh does an impersonation of their granddad, you know, like chastising them for having legal money around here and all that sort of thing. And John says that Killian always used to do funny voices when they were kids. Sob. Yeah. Like, this is a really great scene. It is. This show is so... I'm sorry. This scene is so much better than the show. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's insane. Yeah. No, it's really good. Um, And it's, you know, it's just a relationship between brothers, which mm-hmm. is not something you see that often, really. I think you more often see a competitive rather than a cooperative relationship between brothers. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Killian says that they're not kids anymore, uh, but Mumper says that they still have to look out for each other. And Killian says that the next day is a big day. They're going to finish the war with the Lees once and for all. This is news. (laughs) Yeah, he also kind of chastised John at the beginning of the scene for smoking opium. And I wanted John to say, from you, okay? I learned (laughs) it from watching you. The blinders assemble and they give Mumper a drink. They're all strapping up with their weapons. Uh, they walk up to the Lee family caravan and all the men pull out boutonnieres. Mm. And Killian says, it's a wedding. John wants to know whose wedding. It's John's wedding. <laughs> yeah. Surprise. No, it's ironic because before they pull out the boutonnieres, John's getting nervous because he's like, you know, we're within shotgun range. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you have no idea. Uh, so apparently there's a girl in the Lee family who's gone wild and needs to get married off. I am real curious. Yeah. What, go- like, going a bit wild constitutes for a gypsy teenager. Right. Like, what did she do? <laughs> 
Uh, Mumper's pretty mad, but Killian tells him that if he backs out, then there is going to be a huge war with the Lees, and it's up to him to keep the peace. So this is a very European history-style marriage treaty. Yeah. Like, this is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a much more intriguing marriage contract than anything we've seen on Downton Abbey. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Uh, Well, John is pissed. He is real unhappy. Yeah. And the old lady that we saw before, and we don't know her name still. Right. She is just... The queen of yeah. this group of gypsies. And so she comes out of her caravan as Arthur and Killian... Uh, Arthur says, wait till you see a dowry. And Killian says, her dad's giving you a car. Yeah. Uh, which makes John a little bit, you know, because <laughs> he does like cars. He does. Uh, Mumper says that the girl better be under 50, <laughs> which is, I'm like, John, at least say 30. Like, have some self-respect. Uh, Johnny Dogs starts the ceremony as Ada walks up behind Killian. Killian says that she looks well. Uh, and hey, turns out that the woman, Esme Martha Lee, is pretty attractive. Yeah. So John immediately bucks up. Yeah. Ada says Freddie's not talking to her and accuses Killian of admiring Freddie and his communist ways. And I'm like, no. Nope. The script might say that, <laughs> but Killian would never. Yeah. Wrong. Uh, also, interesting fact, Esme... Esme's middle name is Martha, which was John's first wife's first name. Yeah. So I guess uh, Martha, popular with the Romany population. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so after a fairly brief ceremony, so mm-hmm. that's good to know. If you're thinking about getting married, try a gypsy wedding. Yeah. In and out. <laughs> I mean, especially if you don't even know you're going to it, you know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Honestly, more weddings should be like that. <laughs> Ambush wedding. Yeah. Uh, but that means it's time for the party. Someone sings a folks, a festive folk song and the fiddling gets started. Uh, everybody's happy. A guy vomits. So that's great. Uh, guns go off. Fireworks. It's just like living in Oakland. <laughs> uh, and Ada is drunk and dancing. Paul says that Ada's been trapped in a basement for weeks and is having a bit of a reaction to her freedom and sends Killian to stop her. Uh, Ada, unsurprisingly, takes that as an excuse to just start screaming at Killian, and then her water breaks. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind, I rescind my previous comment. This is the best line in this episode. Arthur says, bloody hell, Ada, you do pick your times. (laughs) Arthur rarely gets a good lick in, and that's a great one. Uh, so the car pulls up with Esme, John, and Arthur, and uh, the men go off to get drunk. Paul says that one man should be there with Ada, and Killian says that that's fine. There's a truce that lasts till sunrise for Freddy to come. And I was like, don't you mean sunrise or until the baby comes? Yeah. Like, shouldn't that, but whatever. Maybe that baby responds well to a deadline. <laughs> it could be. Inside, Esme says that the baby is breech, and so they all kind of stand Ada up to push in a different angle. What a hell of a wedding day. You marry into a family, and then you immediately have to deliver a baby. Like, that just doesn't seem right. Yeah. But Esme is apparently a very accomplished midwife. Right. uh, So that seems positive. Yeah. Back at the garrison, everyone is getting wasted, and Grace asks a bunch of stupid questions. <laughs> she walks away, and Arthur says he thinks Grace is the reason Killian's gone all soft. <laughs> and Killian actually smiles and kind of, you know, is like, yeah, whatever. Aw, jeez. Just don't tell anyone she's a spy, okay? She's real uptight <laughs> about that. Uh, strings play a melancholy melody, and Freddy runs down the street yelling for Ada, 
Nobody cares. And again, maybe don't yell <laughs> because you're on the lamb. That's that's a good thought. The baby. Baby. Conrad baby. Hmm. It's a boy. Uh, Freddy comes in and, you know, except for his hair, it's a very cute scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the police arrive to arrest Freddy. Hooray. <laughs> Happy endings for all. Yeah. And Esme is like, what the fuck? Like, already, this was the weirdest wedding day. And then it's like, boom. Yeah. We just upped the ante. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so back at the garrison, John and Arthur are singing, and Grace asks if she should open the champagne. Uh, she bought a bottle of champagne earlier yeah, for dumb reasons. But people keep not letting her open it. Polly comes in and says, the baby's a boy, but p- the police came and took his father away. Killian looks genuinely surprised. Mm-hmm. I don't think he did this. Right, agreed. He is a man of his word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if he has to break his word, he will do something like give you Stanley Chapman. <laughs> right. Um, but Paul says she doesn't believe him and he's a liar and basically gets dragged out by John and Arthur. And that's the end of the episode. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good, good stuff, man. It's kind of a fast paced episode. It was like things went at a nice clip. Yeah. Well, it's like we've gotten past nobody needs to be untru- nobody needs to be introduced anymore at this stage of the yeah, season. Yeah, that's true. You know, I mean, I guess Stanley Chapman, but and we don't know what that old gypsy lady's name is, but I right. guess that didn't matter. Yeah. So yeah, so uh, yeah. Well, actually, you know, they they brought up and disposed of the whole "Who's John going to marry?" plot in a single episode. Yeah, which Downton Abbey never <laughs> would do. Yeah. They'd be like, we could string this out for five, six seasons at least. <laughs> well, like, because Killian could have done that thing and then just decided to wait three episodes before telling John uh-huh. about it yeah. for mysterious reasons. True. Yeah. But they didn't. And it was yeah. a good episode. It, it was, was fun. That baby's out. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Freddy's in jail. Hooray. <laughs> good times all around. That's right. So uh, that's it for Peaky Blinders Season 1, Episode 4. Until we're back next time, by order of the Peaky Blinders. <laughs>